Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Imp Nation, we're back. Oh my goodness. You are going to love this one today. My man, Seaway Charles, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Tom? It's great to be with you. It's finally back in the Imp Nation. And it's uh, it's amazing to, to you know join you on this call. Uh, Want to catch up. Got a lot of things to talk about. And very excited to see what's going on. You know, we do these on Zoom, but when they go out to the crew, it's listen only. I have about a hundred women that are so jealous of me right now because, dude, you look good looking like you did back in college. It's so damn annoying. You look great. <laughs> no, I'm, man, please. I'm glad I'm only showing it from the neck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. well they, they say the camera adds 10 pounds. So you still look underweight, man. You still look hey, I wish. I wish that was the case. No, it's great. Thanks. Thanks. You look great, too. You know, like wine, you get you get better with age. So yeah, you know, plastic surgery, makeup, all that stuff <laughs> I got going on. The imp- I have to look good. This in podcast, you know, I walk down the street, people stop me. It's like you know, I'm pretty famous now from this. Who hey, and, and 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 being stopped in New York City is an accomplishment. So that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting stopped for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. <laughs> Okay, so like I know a lot of your story because we were in college the same years together, yeah. but the rest of the group doesn't. You know, take me through your days in Philly and think you, you know, you were at Northeast High School. And next thing you know, like you wind up at UVA. Like, what the heck happened? Now, you know, that, that's a crazy story in itself. Uh, basically, and this is, and it's a, it's a great George Welsh story, you know, and he has a ton of them, but it's a great George Welsh story. So in high school and in being from Philadelphia, in Penn State was like the college you wanted to go to if you ever thought about going to the NFL just because you had Blair Thomas, Kurt Warner. You had a lot of great backs um, come out of Penn State. And that being a running back and a linebacker when I was in high school, I'm like, linebacker you and great running backs and good fullback. Sam Gash went to Penn State as you recall. So they had great fullbacks as well. So I'm like, that's where I'm going. Right. And the world has a funny way of working itself out. Uh, Love Penn State, went there for uh, summer camp, did everything I could to get into Penn State. And they never offered me. And and so and so I was down to Syracuse and really I didn't I didn't take visits to a lot of the schools that wanted me because I I knew where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. So it was really down to Syracuse, 
University of Pennsylvania, um, Rutgers, and Virginia. And I knew about every other school but Virginia. <laughs> and if it wasn't for, and if it wasn't for uh, my teachers convincing me to go to Virginia because of the academics, because they had heard that I was thinking about going to University of Pennsylvania. And they said, look, I know University of Pennsylvania doesn't give out scholarships and it's pretty expensive for you to go there. The next best thing is probably going to UVA. And I was like, uh, I don't know if they have a good football team or not. <laughs> I don't know anything about Virginia. And so um, I, I go to Syracuse. And you got to remember, if you've been on a recruiting visit, they, they make sure you have a great time. Like at Syracuse at the time had a great basketball team. Derek Coleman was, was there. And the game, the weekend that I went there for my visit was when they played Georgetown and Alonzo Mourning. So imagine, I don't know if you've ever been to Syracuse in the Carrier Dome, but imagine Derek Coleman at the height of Syracuse's career, uh, which Alonzo Mourning, the height of Georgetown's era of, being all everything. And I'm like, man, the Caradone was loud. It seemed like you couldn't hear yourself talk. And everybody that was with me that weekend, like, we're coming here. We got to be a part of this atmosphere. So I was dead set on going to Syracuse. Now, there was there was one thing that kind of had, I had some trepidation about going there because the next day I had a chance to sit down and talk to Coach McPherson. And he one of the a legends in, in college football, right? He, he went on to coach the New England Patriots, but he was a legend at Syracuse. And we sat in his, we sat in his office for like 30 minutes and he was trying to convince me not to study engineering. And so this whole, I mean, this is what kind of turned me off because 30 minutes, he was like, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> You can't do engineering football at the same time. I'm, I'm like, well, I've done a lot of prerequisites for engineering in high school, and I know what it takes. I know what to expect, and I'm prepared, and I have a plan to get through college with my engineering degree. And he sat there and tried to convince me that it was a bad idea. What are you doing? We don't have football players that study engineering and stuff like that. And so I was like, ah. You just turned me off. You know, I just had this great experience. I'm coming. And now you're telling me that I can't study the one thing that I that I went I went four years in summer, summer school for is learning about engineering. Right. And so Virginia came in, had a great coach. Coach Tranquil was my recruiting coordinator. And he, he kind of laid it all out said, hey, you have a great chance of playing and we have a great academic program and a support staff and whatever you want to do, we'll let you do, right? Great selling point. And so Coach McPherson comes in like a couple of weeks later because I had told my re the recruiting coach for Syracuse that I may not want to come to Syracuse anymore <laughs> after I've already committed. And he comes, so Coach McPherson comes in sits down right across from me and was like, we need to talk about this. You're coming to Syracuse, right? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> so, and he is like drilling me about why Syracuse is better than Virginia. And as a young, what, 18-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, you're not going to tell this great Hall of Fame coach 
that, no, you're wrong. <laughs> the point you're making, you're wrong. Like he was like, Syracuse is better here. I was like, eh, Virginia is better <laughs> from an academic standpoint. And I was like, but I couldn't tell him you're wrong. And so uh, lo and behold, you know, push comes to shove. I go, I go to Virginia. I don't even know who the head coach is at Virginia. Now, now mind you, three weeks or four weeks prior, George Welsh actually comes to my school, introduces himself and, and goes and talks to my coaches. And I, and I think they thought I was supposed to know he was the head coach. But I didn't know he was the head coach. So I don't meet George Welsh formally until my last day on my recruiting visit when we have our one-on-one conversation. And let me just tell you, if you talk to anybody in my class, George didn't sell the universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the best thing that ever happened, right? <laughs> so, but I can I can tell you, the university sold itself um, because it gave me the best experience of my life, and I don't regret any any of it at all. But he is he is one of a kind. I, I love that man, and uh, and and it really. You saw her. So when I as a freshman, as you know, as a first year, you 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 come in and you see all of these guys and you're scared of George because he doesn't talk to you at all. But you see Herman because I was there with Herman Moore and Sean Moore and Slade and all those guys. But you see Herman doing whatever he wants. Now, I'm petrified of this. <laughs> and and you would hear like Herman gets and and, and George had his rules. But Herman would push his buttons, like walk out on the field just before practice is starting. And it goes and he'll go up to George and put his arm around him. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm scared of the man. Well, Herman is like, hey, this is my guy. I can do whatever I want. But it was it was a great dynamic seeing how he interacted with the older players. Well, well, that was your first year. What was your relationship like him by your fourth year? Oh, we were we were really tight. The the greatest thing. So there was a story during the Peach Bowl. He broke his leg trying to show the team that he used to do the option. Right. So fast forward to the Independence Bowl. Right. And I remember this story from the guys telling me, telling me when I first got there, I was George, you got to show us how you do the option when you were back at Navy. Right? And, and lo and behold, he does it. It was the greatest scene ever. And so we became really good friends, I, you know, with uh, Matt Kirschbaum, Michael Fredericks, all of those guys, Ryan Keel was in, Chris Harrison. We had a, we had a good fifth-year class, and we all came in together. Tom Burns was a part of that crew. We all came in together, and – we felt as though we reestablished that baseline for excellence for the university because before our fifth year, we had never during our class had never won a bowl game. And so we we made it a point to win a bowl game before we left. And that's what we did. And and I, I would like to think that we kind of set the standard for the years after because they won the ACC title the following year. And, and we kind of established a culture of what Virginia football should be. It's wild to hear you say some of those names because those are all dudes that were my year, your year. 
that we hung out with. And I remember, I remember them as first years and as first years, none of us were that together. Maybe you, maybe you, trust me, I was not not the six guys in me that you just mentioned. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's awesome. So you get to UVA and you know, you're going to be an engineer. And so it uh, wasn't daunting to you at all. You just, you knew you had it. Absolutely. I, I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to make it. Uh, my, my first, so the crazy thing is my daughter is a first year, first year she's doing engineering. And I'm like, I'm telling my daughter now, make sure you go to all of <laughs> <laughs> the study, the study sessions with your professors, because it'll help in case you don't do so well on your, <laughs> on your tests, right? Because at least they'll know you're trying and you can fit in that curve. And she she looked at me and like, Daddy, I got I'm on the dean's list. Don't worry. About it. <laughs> you know? She's like, Daddy, I actually got into the school without a score. So. So the, the crazy thing is uh, she's a lot smarter than I am. I, I kind of, hopefully I rubbed off <laughs> some ways, but I think she got, she has more of her mom's brains than mine, but it's just funny to see how some things are similar and some things are different. I'm kind of living through my daughter now, my engineering school, my engineering school days as she goes through it in her first year. So it's exciting. Now in your mind though, when you were choosing that, what did you think the end goal was? Like, were you thinking NFL? What were you, where was your head at when you were starting as a first year? And then how did that change over the four years in terms of what you were studying and what you thought you might want to do after college? Yeah, ultimately, I always wanted a, like a backup plan just in case football didn't work out. I think we, we all had, I think any, any athlete that comes in to play a major sport like baseball, football, or basketball, one of your aspirations is to go professional, right? And and that was one of my goals is, hey, I want to go play pro football. I have an opportunity. I'm seeing Herman Moore. I'm seeing Ray Roberts. I'm seeing um, even Sean Moore. I'm seeing a, Matt Blunden. You see, I see all of these guys going in to the NFL, and I'm like, this is a great opportunity for me. The school sets you up for success in the NFL, and so there was always that aspiration to go to the NFL, but I always knew, and it was always instilled in me back in high school, that you need a backup plan. And because of my knowledge of the, the role that an engineering degree can play in one's life, where you don't necessarily have to be an engineer to be successful, but because of the skills that you learn as an engineer, it prepares you for success in any career outside of football. And so I knew that, hey, if all all else fails, then I have a fallback, right? And it wasn't until probably third or fourth year where I really wish I would have done a lot more. And I look back at it now, I really wish I would have done a lot more then in the engineering space because I think I missed out on a lot of things that would have benefited me now. Like, like, tell me about that. Like what? You know, I, you know, one, you know, I wasn't a being in football, you have a lot less time to hang out 
with a lot of e-school students because by the time you're done practicing, if you're not studying, you're going to be behind, right? And so I was, I just felt like I never had enough time in the day to do all of the things that everyone else was doing. Um, and I missed out on a lot of different things. I missed out on a lot of the groups that I was a part of, but wasn't actually able to participate participate as much as everyone else and, and take advantage, truly take advantage of the opportunities that existed as being a part of those groups. And so I, I missed out on a lot of different things. I missed out on taking my professional, my um, engineer's test once you graduate to become a professional, get your professional's license. I, I didn't, I didn't take advantage of those things that I regret today. And I tell, I tell everybody that I talk to is, you know, it's great to be focused on one thing, but make sure that you, you, you keep an open mind about everything so that whatever you do, you have the options are limitless because if your options are narrow, it limits the opportunity to take advantage of the ability that you have to make an impact in the world. Yeah. I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like you're the type of guy where you actually needed 12 years of college, not, not because you needed 12 years to graduate yeah. from a degree, but just to, to fit it all in, right. To like, you were, you were part of a lot of different parts of the university. Like you were touching not just the imps or the engineering school or the athletic department. There were like other places there too, that you were touching, right? Yeah, we, we, you know, towards my fourth year into my fifth year, we even created like an on-campus nonprofit group where we were, were giving toys to at-risk youth at the university in the Charlottesville, greater Albemarle County area. So it was an opportunity that 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 philanthropic soul that um, I have resonated through my last couple of years at UVA and wanted to kind of share a little bit of the successes that we had as a team with the city and the county and around us. So, Can you tell me a little Faith is your daughter who's a first year there now. What was it like? Did you go with her on her first visit? What, what was that like for you? I, you know what? I think she, so. I, so we would go back intermittently and I, had, I think I had to go back for a couple of things at the university and I would take them with me and to get them interested in going to the school. And she was the one daughter that kind of fell in love with the campus and the environment. And that was one of her choices that she knew she wanted to go to UVA. And so I think just by me exposing her to that environment at such a young age, just kind of got her excited about attending the university. Um, and what was it like when you were down there with her or the other kids uh, walking around and telling war stories of like, like, hey, we did this here. You know, this is where I did that. Were they, did they enjoy those stories or were they kind of like, come on, dad? So this is this is the classic line today. Uh, you've already told me that story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's. Uh, I think everyone listening to this podcast has heard that one. I know I have for sure. <laughs> so that's, that's, my, my daughter's really polite. She'll say, "You already told me that one, but say it again." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, so every time we go by a building or we see the imp sign, <laughs> I know what that means. You've told me that. <laughs> Love it. And, and speaking of the imps, like, do you what year were you uh, inducted into the imps? Uh, my fifth year. Yeah, it had to be my fifth year. Yep. Awesome. And do you uh, remember anything about the, the tapping or the practical joke? Or I'm sure you do. You know what? So, so the, by the, the way, just to be clear, you were on the other side of many of those practical jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was uh, Tom Burns and Sherry Greer. And so, and I'm like, so you got to understand, Tom was an, a nuclear engineer, right? None of the classes took. <laughs> were remotely similar even the first even the first two years that all the classes are usually the same i don't remember ever having a class <laughs> right and so so sherry comes up to me and says i need to give you a heads up right uh the i forget what it's called and it said you know they're, they're trying to say you violated the honor code by by cheating on Tom Burns' test. I'm like, what? <laughs> Tom, we're not even in the same class. <laughs> and she said, like, oh. And I was like, well, I wouldn't have had the grades that I got <laughs> if I was cheating on Tom. You suck at cheating, man. <laughs> so, so I'm like, man, this is serious, but I don't know how this is possible. <laughs> All I have to see is, look, check my transcript out the first two years. <laughs> <laughs> and check his out. So I must have been doing something wrong. <laughs> but I, that's how that's how uh, Sherry uh, tapped me is uh, using that. But that was that was pretty cool. The whole night there on the lawn was amazing. I forget who house we were at, who's uh, who's sweet we were who we were at that evening. But I do remember. We so you know everyone loves to uh, streak the lawn. So we're we're doing our thing, and I was joking. I was like, you know what would be so cool is if we chase the group, the next group, <laughs> streaking the lawn, right? <laughs> saying, "Come here, you're getting in trouble." <laughs> so I guess it happened. So we find like this this group, these like four guys and two girls are about to streak the lawn and I don't forget who was with us, but we say, we just, we see them start to run and you know, there's bushes right before the path. So we just start running after them <laughs> and we see somebody jump and land on the bush. <laughs> so we're like, Oh, dude. And you were a big guy. Like, can you yeah. imagine those four people looking behind them and you were not slow either. I know. So it's like, I, I can't even imagine that. I, so that that was funny. We felt I felt bad afterwards because I, I like you, uh, that must hurt <laughs> your naked body falling off. <laughs> You'd be thrown in jail for that today. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy, but I mean, those are some great times. I I still have uh, the vivid picture of them coming. You know, the imps coming into one of the parties that we were at, and 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 doing the old chant that they that we did. It was, it was great. It was great. 
yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And I remember a lot of times with you sitting in the chapel on a Sunday and just, you know, we weren't there all the time, but when we got there, it was always a nice little break. It was monotony of getting up early, going to class, going to training, the training room. You know, we were all banged up getting iced and treatment and whatever. And then going through the practice, having coaches tell us that we're the worst person in the history of the planet, then having to go watch film of that we suck and then having to do it all on the weekend. So it was, That's right. it was a great Sunday to be there and to not have to be, I'm sure for you, Charles, the football player, but just be Charles, Charles. Right. That's right. No, that's right. No, it was great. It was, it, I think, I think the campus, especially for Virginia's campus. I mean, I think that was a great environment. If you were an athlete, even if you were a, a premier athlete, um, they really didn't treat you any differently. Think of, think about the guys who we had on campus that had come through campus who were really good athletes and that, were stars and they were all still treated the same. They didn't have that kind of star factor on grounds. And so it made it a comfortable place to be, no matter how good you were or how famous you were from a, a national standpoint. Can you lead us into kind of, you know, the draft and what's that like? And I, I don't know that a lot of our listeners know how that works. In fact, I don't even know exactly how it works. Well, for, well, for me, I didn't usually, if you're one of the top 250 college prospects, you get invited to the, uh, the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, I wasn't in that crew. So I was already behind the eight ball because I wasn't considered one of the top 250 or so athletes eligible for the combine. And so that was disheartening a little bit for me that I wasn't selected. So tried to work as hard as I possibly could for our pro days and any interviews that were requested when you travel to the different teams. And so I just tried to work my butt off um, during our um, pro days. We had two or three pro days at the university where all of the scouts uh, from different NFL teams come in and they watch you work out and then they grade you and then they, you know, take their evaluations back to the team. And so I didn't know where I was going. I, I, I'd heard that I was one of the top three or four best fullbacks in college. So I had a great opportunity to get drafted and somewhere from three to six or three to seven. Um, there were some people saying that I may not get drafted. I may be a free agent or what have you. So that was disheartening as well. Like I may not even get drafted. And so come draft day, you don't get picked the first round. You don't get picked the second round. You don't get picked the third round. You're on, you're on your second day, you haven't gotten picked yet, right? And so you're like, oh, Lord, what's going on? And then towards the end of the draft, it just so happens that once the sixth round comes, a lot of teams start calling you because they need to start lining up their free agent list. And so I started getting calls from teams instead of calls about you're, you're being selected next. I started getting calls about, hey, we might think, would you mind, would you think about coming to our team as a free agent? We really love you. We just can't pick. We don't have the picks for you. We may not pick you. Would you mind, you know, thinking about us as a free agent destination? And so that was even more disheartening. Like, I may not even get drafted now. And so 
the end of the sixth round comes and it's looking like I may not get drafted because there's only one round left. And I still remember this. The Giants had two supplemental picks in the sixth round, the last two picks of the sixth round. And they had already picked um, Jamal Duff, who was a defensive end from San Diego State, prior to me. So usually the way that process works, before you're announced on ESPN, they want to call you just to make sure everything is okay, you're still breathing and everything, so they're not drafting somebody (laughs) that they can't work with, right? And unfortunately, they didn't call me because they had the pick prior to me, so they must have been talking to Jamal. And so my wife, my girlfriend at the time, but my wife and I were just sitting in front of the TV, just waiting. And at the time we didn't have our cell phone. So whenever the, your, your house phone rang, you thought <laughs> it was, you know, an NFL team. And so we were like, don't call. Everybody's trying to call. Did you get picked? Did you get picked? Did you get picked? Don't call me. Cause every time the phone rings, you want to pick it up really quick and say, Hey, right. And so no one calls they just pick, and then, then the Giants selection for 6B comes up, and it was my name scrolling across the Chiron. It was like, whoa. It was an exciting moment. Dan Reeves finally calls me like a couple minutes after we see my name scroll across the screen, which was exciting, and it was, it was a great moment, but it was stressful. I wouldn't wish anything, anything like that on my worst enemy just because you, you don't know what's going on. And so the worst, that's the worst. I can't imagine sitting around waiting for that. But I I love the story of everyone's calling you on the home phone. And it's like, you probably can't even screen it. There probably wasn't even caller ID back then. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's cool. right. And, so, and, what, and what does the coach, when he calls, what does he say to you? Just a bunch of niceties? Or yeah, what? it's just congratulations. You know, welcome to the New York Giants. We're happy to have you. Look forward to working with you. And get ready, get ready to work. And New York, I was close to where you grew up, right? It's not far. It's a stone. You know, it, I think it was, it was my divine destination because uh, my wife was from, so obviously I met my wife in law school at UVA. And she was from Wappingers Falls, grew up in the Bronx. So she's from upstate New York. I'm from Philly. What better place to be than the, the middle of both of our families, right? Perfect. So that that was like the best of all worlds. My wife gets to, we both get to be close to our families and to play close to our hometowns. And it was exciting. And then, so you get there, take everyone through what it's like as a rookie. Well, it it wasn't it wasn't easy, but it was fun. Obviously, getting drafted in the sixth round, you're not guaranteed to make the team. So it was it was just like, you know, busting my butt, you know, that entire training camp just to make the team. And the crazy one of the craziest stories that I have is I didn't know how it was final cuts, and I didn't know how they handled it. All I knew is that they knew who they were cutting the night before. So your locker was usually empty. If you came in early enough, you would see your locker empty. So I, I stroll in and they don't tell you you made the team. They don't, they just, it's like a normal day. And no one tells you, congratulations, you've made the team. <laughs> you find out <laughs> 
when your when your stuff is in your locker. So I get up like at six in the morning <laughs> and go into the facility like two hours before I need to be there to make sure <laughs> my stuff is still in my locker. And it was, and still nobody came up to me and say congratulations. So I still didn't know if I had made the team or not. And then once I find found out that nobody was coming to me to say, hey, coach, bring your playbook. Coach wants to see you. <laughs> there was a sense of uh, relief that, you know, things are okay. What do you do? Like, do you ask the guy in the locker next to you? He's like, dude, am I on the team? You know what? I wanted to, on, but right? it's like. <laughs> you don't, you want to ask, but you don't want to ask, right? <laughs> That's yeah. right. Because you don't know. You don't know. But one of the, one of the assistant strength coaches did come down through the locker room, walking to his locker room. It was like, hey, congratulations on making the team. So then I was like, Whew. like, and I, and I, and I played it off. Like I knew I made <laughs> like, <laughs> no idea. None, right? Yeah, so it was cool. So, okay. So now you go through that first season and what was it like? Uh, it was, it was, it was good. You know, I went from starting the very first game to not starting because we had Herschel Walker, we weren't doing well, and then starting again, right? And it, it's just a testament of just perseverance and staying the course and continue working hard and not thinking that I was doing anything wrong, um, but just making sure that I had always gotten better every day. And just, I wanted to always be ready to play when my opportunity arose and, and I made the best of it um, for, you know, the four or five years I was at the Giants, I made the best of every opportunity that I had. You know, I can't remember what year it was, but it maybe it was a couple of years in you had that breakout season, right? I, I was like, I want to say over, I want to say over a thousand all-purpose yards or yeah. something like that. I'm like not the best football guy, even though I love you. Um, it, but what was that like? Was that like, okay, dream come true? It, I mean, it was, a, it was a great season, you know? It, it was one of those seasons that you kind of tuck away and and share with your grandkids right it's like hey this is what I did I became the first fullback to ever have a thousand total yards for a professional football team right I led the I led my team in Russian which is un, unheard of for a fullback at the time so it was it was a, a a lot of great accomplishments and it was a great year for me and then what comes with that off the field in terms of things like endorsements? What, what's that world like? Well, for me, I, I still, I mean, I, I had a lot of notoriety within the New York tri-state area, but from a national standpoint, I wasn't that big or that well-known. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get a lot of the accolades or the sponsorship opportunities that one would think, but it, it was, it was just, just being on that plat on that platform when I when I was opened a lot of doors for me that have that has helped me now and what I'm doing today and has allowed my entire family to benefit from the reputation that I have. So okay, so let's go down the road a little bit. You get done with your playing career, but your time in the NFL didn't stop. What happened next? So uh I had to retire because of a knee injury. And that was when the league had made it a priority to focus on player development and helping guys and their aspirations after football, as well as making sure that 
we educate them on conduct while they're playing. And, and so the Giants really didn't have anybody in that position. And because of the reputation that I had as a leader for the team and in the community, they thought it would be a great opportunity for me, for me to transition into that position. And it, and it was a transition. It took me a good year and a half for me to kind of refocus and, and get my mind off of playing and going back and, and transitioning to the front office. And once I made that transition, it just took off. Um, I, I really embraced the role that I had of making sure these players are prepared for life after football and to take advantage of every opportunity that they have while they're playing. Unfortunately, um, you always look back at your life as like, man, I wish I would have done. But that's just, I guess that's a positive because that means you're growing and you're continuing to learn. And that's what I've done my entire life is try to grow, continue to grow no matter what stage of my life I'm at and always learn new ways of doing day, things and, rene- and, and reinventing myself so that I can be just as impactful um, now as I was back then. And so, I, like I said, I look back on my, on my entire career and say I'm grateful for all the opportunities, good and bad, that I've been through. Well, you know, in that position, you're like the super mentor to everybody, right? You know, the saying, if you want to know about the road ahead, ask the guys walking back, right? So that's who you wind up being for those kids because there are still relative or young men, maybe not kids anymore. Uh, Any feel good stories that you remember where you just, you made a huge difference and it just, it stuck with you? You know, I don't, I don't don't know. I don't know like specific stories. I, I do know that. I've tried to make everyone I've worked with a priority and deal with them on an individual basis and make sure that nothing is cookie cutter. Every individual is different. Everyone has their own specific needs and dreams and make sure that I'm able to tailor whatever we're trying to do for that individual person so that they achieve what they need to achieve to become the best person that they need to become in order to be successful at whatever they do. And then you made like a huge pivot away from the NFL. So take everyone through that. So, you know, I, you know, that was an amazing time in my life um, working in the NFL, working for the New York Giants, a very classy organization, a flagship franchise for the NFL. And, and because they gave me the opportunity to work um, in their organization, I will be forever grateful for the opportunity. Um, I think there comes a time in everyone's life that you want to, you want a bigger challenge. You want to do more. And, and I've all, and I had always had um, a desire to go beyond what I was doing, right? Um, and that's why I transitioned into the NFL is because I wanted that uh, corporate environment to get that corporate experience to kind of understand what corporate a corporate lifestyle is because the Giants weren't a corporate um, environment. It was a family-run organization. Things, things were done differently than what you would do in corporate America. And so I, I wanted that experience just in case I got just in case I, I ever did want to transition to something else, I was exposed to that environment, that culture, so that I understand how to operate within that environment and culture. 
And so those two years at the NFL were great. It just so happens that my wife, 2016, 2017, had we had our fourth uh-oh baby, I call it, the, the miracle baby. And she was doing an amazing thing. She, she had just become a judge for the state of New Jersey. And, and she had just, she, she knew I had taken on this job and it was getting like intense. I'm on the road for three quarters of the year. And we have this little, this little young girl coming into the world. And my wife decides to, you know, step down from the bench and sacrifice because she knew I had a passion to do something in the NFL and to take care of our, take care of our daughter. Uh, just so happens when I was about to leave the NFL, she started getting back into politics and that kind of exploded. And Governor Murphy, when he was elected as our state's governor, asked her to become the secretary of state of New Jersey. So I was like, well, um, it's time for me to sacrifice. My wife has done a lot of the sacrificing in our marriage, and now it's time for me to do the same for her. And I didn't go back into the NFL after I left the after left the league because I knew that I wanted to give my wife an opportunity to do her thing and and be successful at doing what she wants. She was enjoying doing, and that's when I got into that's when we met and I got into asset management did that and that kind of exposed a whole new world to me and got me engaged in a lot of different things that I wasn't, I was never engaged in and just opened up a lot of doors for me. The pandemic hit, that didn't work out as well as I would have liked, like any old being entrepreneur, like any business does, you don't always become a success your first time out. Then Sherry, uh, I started working with Sherry uh, Greer a lot and she said, you know, you probably you have so many connections. You need to get your real estate license because you could be making a ton of money, you know, working these deals and introducing people. But you can't get paid unless you have your real estate license. And I was like, OK, and got my real estate license during a pandemic. And really, it's like the best of all worlds. I'm staying connected to my high net worth family office space and trying to be impactful for um, environment and disadvantaged people, as well as having time for my family and, and being there for the little, my, my youngest daughter and being able to uh, experience some of the things that probably weren't able to experience with my older kids. So it's given me the best of all worlds. Um, and my wife is, and I'm able to support my wife doing what she's doing. And especially during these crazy times, in which she needs to focus on her job. It's just, it's just amazing. Like I said, things work out for a reason and just waiting to see what's next. Gotta love our girl Greer, right? She's yeah, amazing. she's amazing. I miss her. I haven't spoken to her in like six or seven months. She's the best. So can you take us through, do you have an, a niche in the real estate market that you're specializing in? You know, I'm, I'm doing right now, I'm doing residential, a little bit of commercial, but um, I do want to get into the development aspect. Um, and I'm working towards getting into the development aspect there. Um, Chris Harrison is doing that. I, I've spoken to him a great deal. There are a couple of other players that, that are alumni that, 
are in the real estate space that I've reached out to and have spoken to and are excited and excited to just start doing more. Now that I'm comfortable and understand the space a little better, I kind of want to continue to expand and grow on that. And how long have you been doing that for? Uh, almost a year and a half. So that's interesting, right through the pandemic. So what what's the market been like where you're practicing in terms of, you know, are I think a lot of people are trying to move out of the city. What what has it been like for you? It's been it's been crazy it, for on a number of levels. Just because interest rates are low, so a lot more people are able to buy homes um, for a lot less money, right? But the flip side of that is because there are a lot more people <laughs> able to borrow <laughs> money for a lot less, there aren't enough homes. <laughs> For the, you know, to meet the demand. And so the problem is inventory and the problem is home prices are skyrocketing just because there isn't enough home. And even if you wanted to sell, you may not be able to find another place to live because there's just nothing out there. Um, so it's, it's been a it's been a very crazy market over the last couple of years. And the real estate market has always been one of those roller coaster rides, and you just you just don't know when you're getting you're going to go to a dip or what have you. Um, especially now that interest rates are starting to rise, um, now you're going to have to worry about certain people aren't going to be eligible for the amount of money that they once were and may not be able to get into the house that they thought they were able to get into. So that's that's the difficult conversation to have when you're dealing with individuals from that perspective. And so I think that's where my passion comes for impact and making sure that we give everyone an opportunity to be a homeowner, not just those who are very well off or have really great jobs, but you want to give those underserved people the opportunity to create home ownership and generational wealth as well. And you're doing this in New Jersey? Yes, I am. And what are the main towns that you're hanging out in? All of North Jersey, for the most part, any, any, anywhere north of Trenton. All right, Imp Nation, you heard it. If you're moving That's up, right. You're moving up to Jersey. Seaway's getting a ring. Here we go. <laughs> go. And, and I know you have the four kids. Uh, what's the, uh, the, what are the ages of the kids? Uh, 25, uh, 20, 20, 23, uh, 19, and 7. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, did we have any athletes in that group? Well, my oldest daughter did gymnastics at William & Mary. My second oldest daughter was an ice skater, completed all of her um, figure skating tests, which was a, an amazing accomplishment, and a dancer for Boston College. She's in Boston College Law, Law School now. And Faith, who is a dancer, um, and it's dancing on the UBA dance team. And then Fiona is still trying to figure her way around her seven-year-old self, trying to figure her way out <laughs> around Wait, did you us. say, uh, wait, is that four girls? Four girls. Uh, God got you back, didn't he? Oh, my God. Yeah, sometimes, you know, <laughs> the good Lord must have said that we, we want to entrust you with <laughs> nurturing these women. <laughs> so. I think, um, I think the rule is if you get three daughters, you get an automatic pass into heaven, no matter how bad. Yeah. You well, I yeah. guess I, I guess 
we added the extra one just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got a seat with extra leg room for when that's you're right. <laughs> That's right. That, that's awesome. So, so hey, um, are you getting back to Charlottesville a lot still? I know because Faith's there, so you're probably there. Yeah, a little bit I am. I, I, I get a chance to go back quite frequently. I've, I've been to UVA three or four times in the past year since she's, and she's only been there for what, a couple of six months now. So, and I've already been back four times. So it's great to get back. And I'm, I'm, I'm re-familiarizing myself with how to get around in the shortcuts that we used to take when we were there. I was trying to, I was showing my, my family the other day, the cut through from when you're on the University Avenue, the bank that goes right to the Biltmore and you go to the parking lot and there's those three <laughs> steps down. Well, actually they didn't used to be three steps down. If you remember, it was just like a hill that people <laughs> make into a path and like That's you know, right. were parted. Now they actually have stairs there. So <laughs> somebody That's must right. enough, is enough, probably some kid, drunken kid fell or something like that. That's awesome. It's so great to get back there. And I'm sure you're getting back for some of the football games too. And I even think, um, one of your teammates, is it Ray, has a kid there? Ray, is it Ray Kane? Yeah, Ray Kane does. Yeah, Ray, Ray Kane. Kane. Yeah, I'm, I actually saw him walking when we were dropping off our daughter. I actually saw him walking uh, around campus as well. So, yeah, Ray is there. That's funny because I keep pinging me through Facebook, I guess. When so there, are, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of us bringing our kids back, so which is nice successful brain uh, washing there right I that's right <laughs> so, so imagine you're you're doing you're walking from faith's dorm and you're gonna go just down on the corner so you decide to take a stroll down where you chase those kids doing the uh the naked streaking run that night and you happen to go past the chapel and there's a meeting going on and it's the imps and you said ah oh, crap i'm gonna go in and just say hey and they asked you for words of wisdom what are the words of wisdom seaways given to them well, the, the, fir the first one is always be humble, always listen, and just treat everyone with respect, no matter who you are, where you are, and how bad you feel as though you're being treated. Always treat everyone with respect, no matter what the situation is, because at the end of the day, um, it'll pay off in the long run, and, and it has for me. And I might you if you've listened to listen to the other episodes, I like to make fun of uh, all my athlete friends, especially Ted, uh, on their Bodo's order. Do you have a Bodo's order? I, you know what? I my daughter loves Bodo's. I was never a Bodo's guy, um, but my daughter loves Bodo. I, I love the cinnamon sugar butter that they have. So I'll do it on a plain cinnamon sugar bagel and on a plain cinnamon sugar butter on a plain bagel. And that'll be it for me. I got I, I gave that to my seven year old and I was like, mm, this is pretty good. <laughs> it's probably an indulgent kind of <laughs> item where you don't you don't order it every day. But it was it was pretty good. So I, I kind of like that. I, but I, like I said, I wasn't a Bodo's. I you know what? I wasn't a high carb type of guy. So I didn't I didn't hang out at Bodo's a lot. Unlike me, where I was all carbs. <laughs> back, back when my body could handle it, now my body's in complete and total carb deprivation shock. Turn, turn it right into sugar quick. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, the other question I love asking, you have a favorite word with the letters I-M-P in it? Yeah, um, impact, um, creating impact. Um, basically, that's what I, I'm looking to do 
in my future endeavors is try to make an impact for people in underserved communities and giving them opportunities that I had. That's awesome. Hey, man, it was awesome catching up with you. The it last was. time you and I caught up, we were with a couple of amps. We were with Jonathan Blank and Raj Doshi, I think, at Jonathan's right. charity thing. And it was like time stood still and we didn't skip a beat. And it was awesome. And I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the show. But after the thousandth person mentioned you in their episode, I figured I'd <laughs> get you on. Well, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Hey, it was great to be with you. Love it. Can't wait to get on one of those amp Zoom calls. I know you guys have those as well. Um, it would be nice just to good to see everybody again. Well, you guys didn't hear this information before we got on. It turns out for the last 12 months, I've been sending Charles emails at a sp his spam file. <laughs> so, so I've been officially spammed to him for the last 12 months. But good news, we've got his cell phone now. And I'm going to ring him every once in a while and catch up in the city. And Charles, man, you are class at your guy who touched so many different areas of the university. And it was awesome having you as an imp brother to everybody involved. They love, love, love you. The stories are limitless. And it's just so awesome to hear everything that you've turned into as a professional, as a husband, as a father, man, you are the role model for all of us to follow. So thanks for being on today. Hey, thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.